Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Get ready for the event of the summer, the Northwoods Throwdown Charity Softball Game. Maine Game Wardens versus New Hampshire Game Wardens. Hadlock Field, Portland, Maine, home of the Sea Dogs. Saturday, August 3rd, gates open at 4 p.m., Meet the Game Wardens playing and be there early for all the events leading up to the game. Get your tickets soon at Portix.com. That's P-O-R-T-T-I-X.com. This is Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and I'll see you there. The first sponsorship on Warden's Watch is Trail Runner Wireless Internet, available in Coas County and Washington County, Maine. High-speed internet for rural areas. And they're the company I work for other than podcasting. So, and I, I thank you for their support. Uh, this is high-speed internet r- rural areas, making my podcast happen and making businesses happen in remote places, as well as bringing technology to you folks when you live out in the country. Please go to mytrailrunner.com and like the page on Facebook as well. That would help them a lot and help me to continue Warden's Watch. Guidefitter.com. Guidefitter, bridging you to the outdoors while providing a quality platform for guides and outfitters for you to select from. Guidefitter is the best place to get discounts on gear if you're an outdoor professional. As a game warden, I'm a member of the Outdoor Government Program, which has over 80 quality brands to get discounts from. It's free to join. Yes, free to join. And all you need to do is prove that you're an active outdoor government employee. There are all kinds of products available. Apparel, boots, archery equipment, optics, backpacks, cameras, watches, ammo, anything, you name it. And while you're there, check out the articles, information, and stories that you'll be inspired from. So before you head out to work in the outdoors or start your next outdoor adventure, check out GuideFitter.com and get discounts on your everyday or every so often outdoor equipment. This is Game Warden Wayne Saunders for GuideFitter. 
Wish you could fish more, anywhere, anytime. Rod Geeks, a St. Croix Rods partner, has developed a 42-inch one-piece travel rod designed and built with the same technology found in St. Croix Rods. This travel rod is offered as a kit that comes with the RG42 rod, spinning reel, fishing line, pliers, and tackle tray. All in a case with space for your wallet, phone, and fishing license. Just grab and go. Perfect to keep in your pickup, car, or RV. This shorty performs much like a longer rod, but is compact enough for easy storage and for on-the-go use. Make this the summer you fish more. RodGeeks.com Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public, and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Welcome to Episode 8, and we are live from the Maine Moose Lottery here in Scarborough, Maine at Cabela's. This is a a live event, so you're going to hear background noise all the way through my podcast with Sergeant Aaron Cross of the Maine Warden Service. This is an exciting event and uh, my first live event, so we had some ups and downs, some some things that didn't go right, some things that went right. And the big thing that went right is I was able to do two podcasts while I was there. You're going to hear the excitement of the main Moose Festival, Moose Lottery Drawing here at Cabela's, and Cabela's did a great job. They pulled out all the plugs for this. They have vendors everywhere. They have two podcasters, myself, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, Hal Blood's here doing a live bo- podcast. It's exciting, and uh, they made it exciting. And... When people get drawn that are actually here for a, a main moose hunting experience, you can hear the celebration. It is an exciting thing to be part of. And I'm so happy I was invited here. And the live podcasts are just another another layer to this onion that we've been peeling. So in podcasting, we're getting to know the wardens. We're right beside the main Operation Game Thief trailer that, that shows the reasons why law enforcement in fishing game is so important why protecting this resource is so important and they bring those uh, walls of shame around to show people what people have poached and it's not the little animals it's the big animals so you can uh, see that sometimes see an operation game thief trailer near you a lot of states have them a lot of states don't international wildlife crime stoppers does grants so states can upgrade so they can get their own trailers there's a lot of international wildlife crime stoppers do you're going to hear Greg Serpis talk about that in our bonus round that's going to be released next week. Happy to be here with Sergeant Aaron Cross. This live event, we're going to continue on with Warden's Watch. If you could share with your friends, subscribe to the Warden's Watch. The more downloads, the better off we are. The more sharing with like-minded people, the more people that want to have that game warden experience and hear the stories of these brave men and women. Pretty exciting for me, and it's exciting for me to be here in Maine, in Scarborough, at Cabela's for the Maine Moose Lottery Drawing. Thank you for listening. So my guest is Sergeant Aaron Cross from the Maine Warden Service. Grew up in the Belfast area, that's like mid-coast Maine. Went to Unity College, and you didn't finish Unity College, did you? 
No, I, I got hired prior to finishing. I, I kind of had to make that decision, um, you know, and it, it, it was a looking back, it was a good decision for me. Yeah. Um, you know, I, we've actually already talked to some people here at the, at the Moose Lottery uh, asking questions about, you know, family members that are maybe in college now wondering, you know, what their best option or, the, or what they should do, kind of looking for some advice. And I, I, you know, I think it's a personal choice that you have to make. You Absolutely. Know, and, and for me personally, it worked out. But, um, you know, education and, and, and getting as much of, you know, experience as you can beforehand is always, always you can't lose in that either. No, you can't lose. Absolutely. So, and there's, there's different ways, you know, with, with New Hampshire, it's, you know, you can get two years police experience, two years military, which I don't think they do two years military anymore, but, and then you can get in. Your, your hiring process is open now, isn't it? It is, yeah. We're actually, uh, we opened our full-time hiring process uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, we're going to keep that open for a little bit, uh, probably for another month or so. So, I mean, if you're at that point in your life and, and, and in your, you know, where you can actually apply right now, then now's the time. Um, but, you know, in the next, in the next few years, we're going to have a, a lot of opportunity um, in our state, probably much like a lot of other states where, you know, there's going to be some vacancies, some retirements that happen. And, you know, if, if, if you're looking at a career in conservation law enforcement, um, I think right now is a great time to be preparing yourself, um, you know, getting some experience, um, you know, trying to, to ride with a warden if possible. Do those things that will prepare you the best and to be the best candidate when the time comes. Right. And get some whitewater experience. Is that in there too? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I one of my one of my jobs a while back was to kind of oversee the whitewater rafting in Maine, and um, that was that was kind of interesting because it's something that I actually kind of had a personal interest in. I guess uh, I not not so much specifically rafting, uh, but just whitewater in general. I did a lot of canoeing growing up and things. So when that opportunity came up, I thought it'd be kind of neat to to um, get that experience as a as a warden and uh, had you ever done that before i'd, I'd rafted before yeah okay. a couple just times but um taking you know, the rafting trip down yeah, just kind of recreationally yeah. doing that kind of thing and so that the job that i did kind of entails the more uh the commercial aspect of the whitewater rafting industry but it, but you're all, you're on the rivers as well so it was kind of a good combination of both and you get a you know you get some kind of neat experiences um on both sides yeah, no, I would imagine that's really good. And the training you had to take uh, prior to, did you do like Rescue 3 training? or? Was yeah, it? so actually one, one really kind of neat thing that came out of that, um, that role when I was doing it is that we kind of identified that as, as an agency, we, we didn't really have a protocol for any kind of swift water training, um, more advanced swift water training. So um, we actually implemented, so every new game warden during their warden school um, uh, goes goes through a swift water rescue training program now during nice. their warden school. So every new game warden since you know 2011 or 12 has gone through swift water training. Nice. Um, so we're actually hitting quite the majority of our agency now, and it's good um, because there's so many not just in the rafting world, but there's so many areas of the state depending on water levels and seasons and things like that that could potentially be a hazardous situation. That that um, guys, you know. Having a comfort level on that is really important. Yeah, and we're seeing that all the way across the country right now with flooding and everything. So, and knowing water, reading water, and in any situation is pretty important. 
Yeah, no question. I mean, I, uh, that there's some crazy things that are happening across the country, and I mean, we're not we're not really exempt from it here in the state either. Um, you know, in the springtime, we typically have rivers that uh, that are um, at or above flood stage, and and uh, and they're very very dangerous. So, uh, combined with the cold, the coldness of the of the the winter melt, spring runoff type type situation, and, and the high water, it's you know we need to have some sort of background in that. Right. No, absolutely. I would agree. So, family. Yeah. You're married. Yeah, married. Uh, got. Uh, I've been married to my wife for eight years now, I guess, almost eight years, eight years this month. And you met her when you were a game warden? Yeah, yeah, so we met kind of, uh, her dad was actually, a, is a retired game warden. Um, he was a sergeant in uh, in Washington County, which is the what people refer to, I guess, as that, the down east portion of the state. Um, and and basically, we yeah, we kind of met through work, I guess, and uh, we've started a family of our own and it's been great now you kind of told me in our pre-interview there that uh she kind of tricked you into a kind of a date so to speak so or an introduction right yeah I, or, or is that how she would say it well i, I, I yeah, yeah she's probably listening to this so i'm gonna try to i'm gonna try to make this uh make this work out for myself here a little yeah. bit but uh yeah wise man yeah, yeah. no it was um it was it, we we joke about it now. It's kind of funny. The, the premise, I guess, of of our of our meeting and our conversation started about a about you know questions and purchasing a canoe and and things like that. And uh, I'm not sure if everyone's listening here or not. They're listening to my my marriage story. But anyways, <laughs> uh, uh, and and so we started talking based on that. And and uh, well, eight years later, we or nine years later now, we. I still haven't bought her a canoe, like, and she gives me a hard time about that. But, um, I and I kind of come back usually with, well, we have four kids, and I thought that would kind of be the that's the a same big, thing. That's a big canoe. It's it's different. Now that's, we need a bigger canoe. Yeah, exactly. definitely. So, so that's that's the story that I'm going to go with today, and hopefully, and that you kind of took her dad's place, haven't? Didn't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah so, uh, yeah, her dad retired, and I think it, I think he actually retired in 2015, and 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 they opened up the promotional process in 16 for the sergeant's position down in Washington County, and and uh, I ended up I ended up getting promoted to that position, um, and uh, so yeah, so I spent about a year and a half down there, and living living with them, and going back and forth on on my days that I could go home, and made it work. So. Yep, and, and if everybody's just joining us now, we are live at Cabello's in Scarborough, Maine for the, the Moose Lottery event. Uh, it's going to be a big deal here today. They're going to have a moose uh, calling contest. They're going to be drawing the names live for about 2,000 Maine moose permits. We're set up right near the Operation Game Thief trailer. We are live on the IWC working, you know, uh, as a game warden. Uh, you talk about the, the section, and I had this experience too, of the people that you worked with were kind of your mentors and stuff. And I know where I landed as a game warden. Uh, I landed in an awesome place with a lot of awesome wardens that taught me how to be a game warden. So and it sounds like you had a similar experience. Yeah, it, you know, I think that one of the one of the most important things that that a, a you know a new new warden that's that just got hired could really get is is to be um, surrounded by by positive you know hardworking guys and and I was lucky enough to have that happen when I got hired. Um, you know, I I think that those first couple years that you're out working in the field you kind of develop how you're going to interact with people and what kind of um what kind of uh work you're going to do and 
So I was I was able to see that firsthand, um, get thrown into a lot of uh, situations that that made me, you know, learn things that I didn't know. And and I think that you know de- you know overall down the road you 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 look back at those things and you, I think that's a that's a huge thing to get set on the right foot first you know to begin with. And you know we had a we had a supervisor in the section that was that was a really um, you know important kind of a mentor to a lot of us newer guys and um it was kind of interesting when i when i got hired with that uh the district that i went to the the district next door to mine was another guy that was in my academy class so um and and we had you know we had grown a friendship throughout the academy and things like that so it was kind of neat to be side by side but you know we both worked for the same supervisor and and we had a lot of fun as when we got out into the field and it was it was just it was a good way to start yeah, no, no doubt, and uh, that 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 sounds great. And uh, was that su- the supervisor? We're talking about Chris, aren't we? We are, yeah. Chris, Chris yeah. Simmons, and we're we're going to end up talking to him sooner or later. Because, yeah, uh, he, he won't hide forever. On he's that. got so much energy, and uh, yeah. yeah, so it's an infection too. It's it's it's, it's awesome to be around him because he gets you all fired up. That's right. So, and That's I right. usually I'm usually fired up, and he gets me more fired up. So, <laughs> it's a good combination. I, yeah, yeah. And I, I can't keep up with him. So uh, I'm looking forward to that interview too. So, and and he he he's in charge of the operation games. He's the liaison with the state into the the nonprofit. Yeah. So so. so uh, Chris is kind of the, uh, he's been the liaison for OGT for a long time now. He asked me to kind of come on and, and help a little bit back when I was a pretty new guy. And, and it, and it was, I really, I really took to it and I, I really liked it and enjoyed helping with that. So him and I are both, you know, kind of help with OGT and, and also are, are pretty active in the wildlife crime stoppers arena as well. And, you know, it's something that I think we both, um, you know, really have a, have a passion for you know the mission of both organizations, Maine OGT and International Wildlife Crime Stoppers, and and see the value and and I mean they're really those organizations are really promoting or trying to promote exactly what we do for our careers mm. and and what we've what we've dedicated a lot of time and and hours and 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 good times bad times too. So I mean it's it to me it's it's only natural that we'd be be really active and involved in that. Absolutely. So. And that you got some stories down here that uh, you know, because being game wardens, you know, that's what when I'm sitting at a camp or something, they always want to hear the game warden stories, and that's what I think a lot of people like to hear. And uh, you know, the, the, these brothers you catch ice fishing, you know, just turns yeah, into. Yeah, I a, mean, it's it's so it's it's so hard to think and and try to put all these stories and, and ideas and thoughts into like you know a, an interview like this because there's so many things and you'll forget and you them, keep but thinking of yeah, more as you go and you know one of the you know there's a lot of one of the things i like about being a game warden is that there's there's a lot of good things there's some bad things there's some tough things but there's a lot of stories that you kind of look back at and say that was pretty funny may not have been as funny at the time but as time goes on they become sometimes funnier and funnier so uh, yeah i mean we see kind of a little bit of everything you see tons of different types of people and and a lot of people that you deal with especially in an area where you've worked for a while are people that you've dealt with in the past you know uh, we call them we call them a few different things but frequent flyers is one common Mm -hmm. uh, term that we use Um, so a couple brothers uh, I I, like I said before I had the unity district for a while and uh, really my only big body of water was unity pond and so I was out on ice fishing patrol one one day in the winter time and I see this group of people, you know, fishing out in the middle of the pond. So 
kind of roll up to him and and uh, and basically just start talking to him. And I recognized all of them um, just from you know past interactions and and I was pretty confident that one of the there was two brothers there and I I, I was pretty confident that one of the brothers had an arrest warrant that that had been issued for him for something I don't remember because what. they are frequent flyers they are frequent flyers <laughs> and, and you know and and but but the thing about them is that they're pretty good natured so so I I. I got on the phone and, and found out through dispatch that it confirmed my suspicion that he did have a warrant so while i was on the phone though i looked over at his brother and and i figured ah, what the heck i might as well ask him while i'm on the phone just to save me another phone call so i kind of yelled over my phone um to the other brother you know asking him if he had a warrant as well he just hung his head and said yes so um kind of like you got me and uh so I confirmed that one as well. So I hung up with dispatch and, and basically had to, had to make a plan. Now I'm in the middle of a, of a pond with two guys that have arrest warrants that need to go to jail, but I'm on a snowmobile. So like I said before, they're good-natured guys, and I basically made an agreement that they would walk in front of my snowmobile and I'd just follow them to shore. <laughs> so they did. And they, they so you got two guys walking in front of you, and you're just poking at, along at slow the speed slow. on a yep. snowmobile. And uh, in the meantime, I had to call the sheriff's department to get a couple uh, deputies there to transport them because I am on a snowmobile. So, so we're walking towards the shoreline, and we get closer, and, and two deputies arrive at the, uh, on this camp road. And at the time, they were transitioning at, at the sheriff's department into different cruisers. And one of the deputies had a brand-new Dodge Charger and nice, sharp-looking car. And the other one was kind of the old-style, you know, Crown Victoria-type police vehicle. And uh, so, so I got off a snowmobile, and I was walking towards shore with them. And, and the conversation uh, quickly turned to kind of bickering, like a sibling uh, bickering session, because they were fighting over who was going to ride in the new cruiser. And... I thought it was just comical uh, that that their biggest concern, I guess, at that point in time, was which one was going to get to ride to Belfast. It wasn't about the arrest. No, it wasn't about really the warrants. About it was about who gets the new cruiser. Yeah, so so we kind of made a joke out of it, and mm. I don't know, I don't remember who won, but um, <laughs> they both ended up going to jail, and 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 again, just that kind of that story just is one in a, in a in many that you can illustrate that a lot of the people that we deal with typically are. Are decent people, and, yeah. and it and it really it really boils down to you know people make mistakes, they get into uh, jams and into, into trouble. But uh, if you treat people good, if you treat them the right way, in the long run, I think it pays off, and I think you'll you know you're you're a more effective uh, game warden um, by treating people the right way. So. Absolutely, and that's a reputation you can get too that makes it easier dealing with other people and along the road too. Yeah, so. I mean it's I mean. I mean, we all have stories about, you know, how that, that relationship or how your attitude has, has positively um, impacted situations. And, you know, I think that... Uh, Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Game wardens, I, I can speak for guys in Maine at least, that you know, a lot of times we, you know, you, t- you think about community policing and that kind of that terminology. I, don't, I can't think of another 
job or profession where community policing is more important than being a game warden. So, mm. you know, a lot of a lot of other agencies, at least in our state, we we work really close and, and well together. But a lot of times we have relationships with people out in the field that they may not achieve uh, in their roles. So uh, it's kind of a it's a it's a it's an interesting thing for sure. Yeah. No, it's almost like a, a small OGT when you become part of the community because people call you because they have your phone number, they know your family. So, right. ever write tickets or arrest your family members? Um, I no, I, I haven't. And I probably should have asked you that first. So. No, that's okay. I, that's a, that's a that's a fair question, <laughs> yeah. especially in Maine. But um, I, 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 I've got two uncles, uh, Lori's uncles, my wife's uncles. So that's actually, <laughs> uh, again, this is uh, I've I've dealt with one distant cousin that I can think of that um, I actually ended up having a trial with. Uh, believe it or not, so. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a snowmobile issue, a criminal trespass type thing, and basically, uh, he didn't agree with what I what I had for evidence and what what I knew. So, anyways, we ended up in a trial, and I won, and uh, it was just uh, kind of I, I don't know disheartening, I guess that that relatives had to go to a trial to, but that's okay. Yep, I'm I'm from a big family, so I'm actually surprised that I haven't had more interactions with. Family members, but my wife is too. So, but I a big am family lucky. in a small town. Yeah, that's the thing. But I am lucky. I have I have a great family and super supportive, and uh, and that's something that I've I from day one I've really that's never been a consideration for me. I mean, we ask they have, we have oral board questions that that talk about you know dealing with a family member uh, in a violation and things like that. And I remember in my oral board when I got hired what I said on that question. And uh, the first thing I said, and then I had to obviously explain myself more, but was I would hope that my whatever that relative was uh, wouldn't put me in that position. And I know they wouldn't because I know my family. And uh, so that's, that's, been, that's been a great thing too. Yeah. I mean, I work, I work in the same area that I grew up in now. So I do know a lot. So the of potential people. is there. The potential's there for sure. Mm-hmm. It's more. It's more just acquaintances and people that you knew in high school that that you're dealing with. But yeah, that's and it, sometimes it's easier to deal with them too because you can call them by their first name. No question. I, I I just had this conversation with someone else the other day that I think it's actually a benefit in a lot of ways to to know the people in your uh, and even if knowing them, um, knowing their background. Um, knowing how families are connected, things yeah. like that. I, think, I, I think you're right. It's an asset as a game warden. Sure. So no, no doubt. And I think days of old, they used to not put you in your local area. Maybe to start, you could eventually get back there if that's where you wanted to go. So Yeah, and, uh, I, and I think there's value in that as well, and it just depends on the person. And, and, a, a, absolutely. Yeah. But when you get back there, you're, you're right. You know the players. You, you, you've got that edge that nobody else has. Right, right. So, um, and, and you're very family-orientated. That's one thing I, I can see about you. And I, I asked Aaron for a picture of him, and he, he sends me a picture of him and his. Is it your youngest daughter? No, that's my. Uh, that's that's number two daughter. That's Actually, number that's my two. Second oldest. And, and yep. it's class of uh, 2032. Yeah, so she had pre uh, no uh, pre K pre K graduation the other day. So wow, they, they do a lot of graduations now, evidently. Uh, yeah, all the way up through. And You're gonna so, be a busy man. Yeah, so they <laughs> so so they had this picture this. Uh, poster that they could hold up this is class of 2032 and and uh someone one of my uh one of my classmates my academy classmates pointed out on on the internet that um 2032 is actually the year that him and i can retire from warden service so we thought that was kind of funny Hmm. um that is funny that yeah but anyways it seems like so far away but it really isn't 
in a lot of ways. Right. It, it will blanket. It'll be here. But that that's that's just cracks me up. That uh, and it just goes to show that you're a good family man. And I I appreciated that picture. It made me laugh like yeah. right away. Good. I'm sure it's going to make a lot of other people laugh because uh, yeah, class of 2032. So getting back to some of these violations, man. I I gotta tell you, I've, I've never heard of about night hunting a beaver. Yeah, so that's a that's an interesting one too, and I had neither. So, um, and I I really didn't. It was deer, moose, yeah, never a beaver. So so just like a lot of cases that we deal with, um, usually get a little little piece of information from someone, um, and sometimes it's accurate, sometimes it's not. But you kind of have to build it, build a case from from maybe sometimes just a small piece of info. So I, I had gotten I it was the rumor around town that that. Um, a couple, a couple students had, um, had been night hunting uh, for ducks, you know, shooting after um, legal shooting for migratory birds, which, you know, in the fall in an area where there's quite a bit of duck hunting activity was pretty, pretty believable. So I started digging into it and tried to, you know, acquire some names, locations, things like that, and, and kind of honed in on who I thought it might be. So we went and interviewed the suspect and... And he, we basically kind of laid it out, you know, what the info was that we had and what we thought was probably going on. And he kept adamantly denying, just deny, deny, deny. And he was very, very convincing. Like, he didn't, he did not shoot at ducks after legal, t- legal shooting time. So, so that was the initial interview. I got back in the truck with another warden and I'm thinking, man, he's convincing. Like, I, I don't know where else to go with this, this interview. So we gave it a couple days, and I got back and, and got back in touch with him, and I met him again and interviewed him again, and I kept hammering him on this duck hunting thing, and he kept telling me, you know, I was I was wrong, and so finally I got really frustrated, and I and I kind of just stood stood there and didn't talk, and uh, after a minute or so, he just you could tell by his body language that he was kind of breaking down a little bit, and he hung his head and he goes, "Do you want me to tell you the truth?" And I said, "Well." I said, I wanted you to tell me the truth like three or four days ago, but yeah, this would be a great time. And uh, so he hangs his head and he says, I actually shot a beaver at night. And it kind of caught me off guard and I'm thinking, that's, that's the last thing I expected to hear from this kid. So, so he ran me through the story and he was duck hunting. They, they had been duck hunting that day and they saw a beaver as they were coming back at night and, and shot it off the bank of the river. So... Now I'm thinking I've never written a, a night hunting beaver ticket, and uh, and I'm assuming your statute says wildlife. Yeah, so you can't you know you can't night hunt. That night includes hunt. coyotes, beavers. Yeah, that's the only exceptions would be raccoons that I can think of. Exactly, exactly, and coyotes in certain times of the year. In certain so. times of the year, absolutely. and then so yeah. anyways, that was the one and only, and probably the only one I'll ever have is a is a beaver night hunting case, and yeah, that's the first one I've heard of, Aaron. So yeah. that's uh. It was a joke for quite a while. Uh, it was a, uh, I, I bet that poor kid had, uh, you know, dead beavers showing up everywhere. I suspect his probably his friends too gave him a pretty hard time. Yeah, that's he, okay. Probably one of his nicknames went on to be uh, Mr. Beaver. It or very well like could that. have. So, yes, it very uh, well could have. You know, and and, and you lost a, a decoy. That's what we got to notice. It's a disappearing yeah, decoy. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm glad I thought of that one when we were talking the other day because. It didn't come to me for a while, but it was one of those, well, you know, obviously in the fall, one of our big priorities is working um, night hunting activity, more specifically for deer hunting, uh, typically. 
you know, we, we, we spend a lot of time at night trying to catch people that are, you know, killing stuff illegally. So one night, my the guy that was in the next door district to me, him and I went and we found a place that historically there'd been some night hunting activity. We'd never personally worked there yet, so we thought, ah, oh, we'll try it and see what happens. So we set up, you know, our decoy in the in the field and got our got our spot. We tucked away in the truck, and it was a really cold night. It was towards the end of November, so we got lazy for the most part. That's what I'm going to say. And and we sat in the truck, and typically we don't both sit in the vehicle. We kind of try to spread out a little bit. We, we, we were sitting in the truck, and we were talking and trying to pass the time throughout the night. So we get to the point where it was, you know, pretty late so we got we got to the ni- point in the night where it was where it was still pretty late we we're kind of getting tired so we decided to call it a night and uh, so we get we drive down towards where the the decoy had been set up and we we get out and we start walking across the field and we both knew where we set the decoy up i mean it was pretty obvious where we did we're both looking at a distance and can't see the decoy anywhere and i'm thinking and we had one vehicle all night and both of us looked at each other and thinking there's no way like did these guys take that deer? I mean, it's the only thing we could think of. There's right. no other possible explanation. Yeah. The deer's gone. So uh, we're not. We're not. We're it's not. like a shock factor too. You, oh. you roll back into especially to pick being up the brand new, brand boards. new, and you yeah. you just lost a decoy. Yeah, I was just thinking about what. How Chris do you explain was that one? Aaron? <laughs> yeah, not good. Yeah, not the good. new guy showed up to tell me he lost the decoy. I'd be like, <laughs> so we're both really like really nervous at this point. So we kind of high stepped it down there to, to where we thought it was, and and as we got closer, the, the deer had fallen in the tall grass. So it really the the climax to the story isn't great, but the initial like oh my word the deer lost the decoy. Yeah, we call it disappearing deer because it's like, and and not to mention the fact that we don't really know how long it was down for. So we could have spent all night. You could have spent all night there, and uh, yeah. So we learned that you know every time you deal with something, you know every time you work a a case or work a detail, you kind of learn things that you may not do the next uh, time. So No, no doubt. And, and you yeah. never know. Just just like this podcast, you know, we've had technical issues coming up. So, But I, I was I was at a restaurant the other night, and this farmer that I know shows up, and, you know, he's laughing and joking, and we talk about the time he locked me in his field. Oh, so yeah. we had actually got there at like 2 o'clock in the morning. It was moose season, and there was some moose hanging out off this back road way in the back and one of our notorious people that we got routinely had been there every day because he had a moose permit every day like clockwork prior to legal shooting so we, we we have moose decoys so we set up a moose decoy for him he didn't show up that day it was it was really strange you know it, but you've been like yeah. clockwork so I, I go out to, to leave the area and we get out to the gate and the gate's locked mm. We're locked that's, in. It's tough for business. It, it's very tough for mm. business, and it happened to be this opening day of youth day. Uh, so the farmer came in, you know, probably two hours before legal shooting or maybe an hour, and he locked the gate so no one could go in there and bug him while he was youth hunting sure. on the way back. And so, But the guy we were after couldn't get in there either, right. and so we were all set up, again, like you said, for hours, you know, waiting that prime time. And the farmer locked me in, and then I had to rip his, I had to bolt cut his, his lock off. So I showed up at the farm like two days later and said, uh, with a lock, and I said, yeah, you lost the lockdown. And, and he was blaming the poacher. 
So. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> and, and I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's so funny when you when you start thinking about you know these these things that you learn over time and ways to work different things. Uh, you know, I remember the, the the first night hunter that I caught as a game warden was kind of like a I, like a grand slam, if you will, of, of all these different things all piled into one one case and and uh, you know I learned a valuable lesson that night. Uh, of uh, kind of along the same lines as the first night hunting situation of, you know, always having a wheel man when you're working, you know, night hunting activity because you never know. Some of these people will um, decide that it's it's in their best interest or they may think it is to try to take off and get away if they do something like that. And that's what this, you know, particular person did. Um, you know, he shot our, shot our decoy and, uh, and he didn't wait very long and he took off and... Uh, it's it's kind of a unique story because he uh, he was actually in a minivan, and I've never since then I've never caught a night hunter in a minivan. But <laughs> what a, he, what a great utility vehicle to, it was, to it night was, hunt! It was absolutely great. We'd been sitting there for probably two three hours, um, and we had back and forth traffic, but fast. You know, it was nothing mm-hmm. that looked like hunting type traffic. And all of a sudden, I can hear it coming, and I can see it from a ways, and it's and I can tell it's a minivan. And I looked at the warden that was working with me, and I said, "Yep." It's another blank minivan, and we so we both kind of said, eh, "Whatever, you know." And it happened so quick. He he just he pulled up. He almost slammed the brakes on, sticks a rifle out the window, shoots at our decoy, and and we try. Of course, we try to stop him on foot, and he takes off. So now the chase is on. You know, I get back to my truck first, and I get out on the road, and I'm chasing a minivan down these windy back roads that all I can see is basically the dust when he comes around a corner. And I really don't know what I'm chasing at this point, except for a vehicle that just shot the decoy. And so, you know, a couple, three miles down the road, he, he makes the mistake of actually pulling into a dooryard. And it wasn't his. It was just some random dooryard that he pulled into. And I find I, I can see him there. So basically caught him and his girlfriend was in the car. And he ended up being a felon, a convicted felon as well. So he had, during the chase, unbeknownst to me because I couldn't see it, he'd actually thrown the rifle. It was a little twenty-two Magnum rifle. He'd thrown it out the window. So when I, when I caught him, he didn't have the gun. So through the interview, we, we determined that he'd pitched it out the window. He actually took us back to where he thought he did, and sure enough, it was stuck right in the mud like a javelin. Wow. So we got the gun back, and we ended up at his house that night, you know, seizing several other guns. So, anyways, that was my first case, uh, first night hunting case ever. Uh, that was a good one. Yeah, it was kind of like a grand slam, but yeah. at the same time, learned some lessons too. And yeah, no, yeah. it's it's definitely learned some lessons. So, yeah. and uh, you know, checking the gun out the window that was that was pretty. Yeah, uh, that's kind of unique. I mean, not everyone unique. does that, but but I guess if you're a felon, you're not supposed to have it. Exactly. You know, that's yeah. the last thing you want. You check it out. A twenty-two Magnum. That would be. Uh, a poacher's choice. Oh, it's, it's it's it is. It's kind of what we joke and jokingly refer to as a kind of the poacher's rifle, as a mm. you know twenty two magnum. So uh, no, absolutely. So and and you know, uh, fishing isn't the real exciting thing, but being a game warding, watching fishermen and over limits, and sometimes uh, you had a case. You put a lot of a lot of time and effort into a fishing case, which I, I like to see. And you know, I I, I forget about the fishing side of. Uh, being a game warden because that, that puts a lot of time and a lot of hours in, in, into. I mean, we we spend a lot of time and hours, you know, t- dealing with fishermen and then uh, protecting fish too. Yeah. So I mean, and the, you did too. Yeah. So I mean, we spend we try we try to really teach uh, 
game wardens in the war, in our warden school the, the the importance of surveillance and being patient as a game warden because uh, most of our cases that that we deal with are things that you you start you know you don't I mean we do get information and main OGT is great for that but at the same time there's a lot of things that go on out there that you have to actually physically be there and see mm. and fishing is probably the number one thing that we deal with that 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 you do s- the the most surveillance on so. You know, depending on where you are in our state, um, there's some places where there's they're just absolutely beautiful um, cold water fisheries, native trout populations, things like that. And when I first started, the, my district, part of my district had the Kennebec River, and the Kennebec is a pretty notorious uh, river, a big river in the state that that's there's a lot of fishing pressure. You know, there's pretty much every night in the springtime you could go to the to the river and find people fishing, and a lot of times they were doing things that they probably shouldn't be doing. Um, there's a lot of regulations uh, to the use of different kinds of bait and things like that, or going over limit on fish, which was very common in these 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 high high use areas. So one day, I I think it was Memorial Day weekend actually. I I, I set up on the river, and and typically we we. We try to watch from a distance just so we, we kind of take everything in. So I was watching from a distance and, and using my spotting scope and watching these, this, this father and his son. And they're catching fish, and, and I can tell that uh, the fishing was decent that day. And, and I, I, I watched them go over limit. So they, they caught too many fish. So where I was, where I was sitting to watch, it, it took me a little while to get to my truck to get back to where they were <laughs> on the other side of the river. And... As I, I, I did it as fast as I could, and as I got to where they were come, should be, they were actually driving out. So again, being a pretty new game warden, I was like, oh man, I don't know what I can do. Can I stop this vehicle? Do I, do I have enough to stop it on the road? I, I didn't know. So I turned around, and I literally followed the vehicle about, I think it's about 35 or 40 miles. Oh man. On the road. To where they finally stopped at an, at a on a dirt road, and I thought, there we go, I can actually get out and talk to them. So I followed them into like three different towns, and finally caught. He finally stopped them, got out, talking to them, interviewed them, found out they're over limit. It was great. I, I wrote I wrote them both tickets. Thought I was the best thing in the world, and uh, so I anyway I told my sergeant after the, uh, the case after, and he he couldn't stop laughing because you know I probably did have enough to. to to stop the vehicle earlier, but I guess the same outcome happened. I just used a little more gas getting there. Ironically, in that story, um, we ended up having a trial with both of those those individuals, and and they they pled guilty eventually. But shortly after, I caught the son of the of the father son team baiting deer, and I wrote him a ticket for that. About a month after that happened, he actually got killed before I'd even submitted the ticket into the court. So uh, it was actually a kind of a like a bar fight thing. Very, very unique. I've never had that happen either, where I've got a ticket that I had to write a report for, and I find out in the news that the person died of a, of a bar fight. So I guess I just kind of, like, I didn't turn the ticket in. I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. But same crew. My, my, my first night hunting case as a trainee, the guy we got uh, had cancer. And it was terminal cancer. He wanted to kill another deer, so he decided to kill it at night. So <laughs> we, we did put a 
put his uh, date up a little further because yeah, yeah. you got <laughs> to do know? what you got to do to yeah, you know, exactly. hold people accountable. But so. at the same time, it's it's interesting dealing with. I mean, again, it's, it goes back to that kind of that frequent flyer thing. Of, yeah, of, and this guy was a great guy, and yeah. you know, again, we joked about it. We're like, well, you know. You know, we're going to have it in, you know, what, two weeks from now. So uh, just you, you got to be ready. So and he, he was good. He was once we got him, he, he, you got me, although he was gotten pretty good. And that, that's another story for another day that there I'm saving go. with my mentor that I was with a trainee. And that was uh, as a trainee. It was pretty, pretty awesome great, thing for me. Great. So but uh, yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, you, you've had some memorable cases. And I think, that, you know, it, it shows your longevity, you know, with how many years on? Uh, 12. 12. So, and it, it, it's kind of fun when you start off and you're young, you're excited, and you're, you're tearing it up. And uh, Duck Hunter's in boxer shorts. I mean, that's... Yeah, yeah, uh, that was a good th- one. Th- th- you yeah. know, I, you can't even make this stuff up. So, so yeah, yeah, so I... I, I just cracked I me up when I'm going through those, these, the, these the, pre, pre yeah. notes and I'm starting to laugh by the by the titles. So. Yeah, I tried to caption those so they caught your attention, but... Yeah, you uh, did. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, basically, uh, it, was, it was interesting because... Um, again, working something that you you know you think you're going to be working deer hunters, or uh, and all of a sudden your your mindset and your your plan shifts, um, and that happens all the time as a game warden. And this particular night, I was I was actually trying to find a, a, a bow hunter, a deer bow hunter that was I thought was hunting after uh, hunting late. So I was set up on this in this field area, and all of a sudden I start hearing shotgun blasts way way down in the back of the fields, and I'm thinking, boy, that's you know, and for for migratory uh, waterfowl, you have to you have to uh, the legal shooting time is actually sunset. It's not in Maine. We give people a half an hour after for other big game. So I'm watching my clock and I'm thinking that's sunset. And then the, the volleys of shots kept happening and kept happening. I decided after a certain amount of time that hey, I need to go see what's going on. So I I got back in my truck and I I drove down to the back of these fields and at by this point it's pitch dark. I'm kind of sitting there. I found their vehicle. But I'm not sure exactly what's still going on. So a few minutes later, I see some people walking up through a, a cut cornfield, and they're dragging a kayak. One of the guys is dragging a kayak. So thinking, oh, yeah, they're definitely duck hunting. They were duck hunting in this bog down below the fields. As they get a little closer, I see there's a dog running around with them as well. So I start talking to one of the guys, and I look down, and the guy dragging the kayaks in his boxers. Nothing else. <laughs> and uh, I'm thinking, boy, that's... Uh, that's strange. You don't see many duck hunters wearing boxer shorts. So was it at least warm out? No, well, you know it's October in Maine. It's really not warm, and uh, <laughs> so, but I could tell he was soaking wet, absolutely soaking wet. So I'm talking to these guys, and I'm kind of telling, "Hey guys, this is an issue. You know, you guys have been shooting really, really late. And I'm getting licenses and getting information, and I, I finally look at the guy in the boxers. I said, "What's now? What's your deal?" I said, "I mean, are you the what? what were you the retriever? Like, did you have to go in and get the ducks?" and uh, and he kind of hung his head, and he's like, yeah, he's like, I got a little wet. And I'm thinking, yeah, you got a little wet. So he stripped his clothes off, and that's how he showed up. I just thought it was kind of funny. and you know, His buddies weren't busting his chops either, were no, they? No, and again, yeah, they were. And, oh. and again, it was one of those things where you, you deal with good people that make mistakes. And, and down the road, years down the road, one of the people in this group became a deputy sheriff. Great guys, all of them, great guys. Yep. But it was just one of those things we can joke about it now. Like, hey, remember that time? 
Remember that time you yeah. guys were duck hunting in your underwear? Yeah. And yeah. it's a big joke. But. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure they think it's real funny. <laughs> and, and, and absolutely, you know, the good people make mistakes and they yeah. come out. And uh, here, here's a perfect example of the guys in law enforcement now. And you get to bust his chops on a regular basis. So. Exactly. But that's awesome. So, And we certainly uh, work with those guys. And I, I, I think a lot of them... My, some of my best friends are troopers, local police guys, and you know we, we get their back up from them and from us, and especially more in those rural areas all the time. It, it's oh, there's no question. I mean, the the partnerships and the relationships you form with other law enforcement. That's why, I mean, I think we as game wardens we have the best of both worlds, really, because you you make those connections, you make those partnerships and and friendships, but at the same time you get to do things that are, in my opinion, more fun than. Yeah, traditional law enforcement. Uh, That's, I, I but, would agree. You so. do, you're doing something you love, and you really yeah. you love being out there in the the woods, and uh, you love working with the people that love being out there in the That's woods. Right. So yeah, we we got to keep the, the 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 guys that make mistakes. We we got to catch them making mistakes, and we got to get the the guys that are really out there to to destroy the resource and catch those guys too. So it's a yeah, and unfortunately there are still. There's a, there is still a segment of the population that, that yeah, absolutely, and usually it comes with money. You yeah. know, if there's yeah. money attached to something, you know, I, I think that gives people opportunity to to destroy a resource over money. So yeah, anytime there's money involved, it seems that, that, for sure. that's been my my observation. So, but you know, smelt smelting was a big deal. You know, it was funny. I did an interview with a warden. It was a warden over 20 years ago when he retired. He's been 20 years, and smelting in New Hampshire is dwindled because mm. we don't have smelts, but. You know, one of your cases here is smelting on Kingsbury Pond, and yeah, you know, that was kind of something I want to hear about because I think smelting yeah. is a, a yeah. Case. So I mean, we and maybe some people don't even know what smelting right, is. You right. know, so so a lot of people, it's it's kind of a traditional thing, and and it sounds like it was in New Hampshire, and maybe still is um, to an extent. But um, a lot of a lot of people in the springtime, early spring um, in Maine, will will go uh, to brooks and, and things like that in the mouths of, of ponds and lakes and. And dip usually use a dip net and catch smelts, which is it's a it's a form of bait fish, a small form of bait. Real, a lot of people love eating them. They think they're tasty. They yeah, and they also use them sometimes for you know bait for you know salmon fishing and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're they're smelts are a really important bait fish in in the state mm-hmm. of Maine. So we we have to um, protect those fish, and mm-hmm. you know we we put a lot of effort in the springtime on these smelt runs and. A lot, you know, some of them are closed runs, some of them are open to, to dipping, but there's still regulations. Because that's when somebody can do a serious job to the resource, because if they keep dipping, you're talking hundreds and hundreds of smelts and, yes. uh, and, and a food source for other fish. And, and to your point earlier, it's, it's a commercial thing as well. So, I mm-hmm. mean, uh, a person with a regular fishing license can go to a, a smelt run and, and catch a certain amount of smelts and go home, and that's fine. But there's also commercial fishermen that... That will go and, and, and it's and it's part of their business to sell smelts. So yeah, um, we do have to kind of watch for both. But you know, in this particular on on this particular smelt run, there's a the actual brook going into the pond is closed, but the but you can actually smelt in the pond. Typically, what we do uh, is is put like demarcation lines somewhere in that pond to to show that all right, you're out of the mouth of the of the stream. You know, this is the legal this distance. Is where you can this start is, smelting here. This is here. where you can start because most people obviously would want to be as close as possible. So. This is a really popular run. They usually, I mean, there's people everywhere when the smelts are running because it's only for a short period of time. And so, you know, we we've made a plan to go down there, kind of plain clothes, you know, try to try to blend in. That's really one of the best ways to work them. Sometimes is 
is to kind of <laughs> be there when they're there. Be one of them. Yeah, kind of try to blend in. So I had a guy that, that he's a game warden now, but I had a uh, person riding with me that day that wanted to be a warden. And so he was part of this plain clothes type thing. So him and I went down on the river and in, this, in the pond and we, and we were fishing. We were smelting just like everyone else. Shortly into the night, you know, the smelts were coming okay, but it wasn't great. And all of a sudden, you can start hearing little grumblings. And everyone, pretty much everyone knows the laws, knows the regulations on these smelt runs. And so anyone that's, if they see them bending those regulations or doing something wrong, they're typically not happy because they have to, they're trying to play by the rules. So I start hearing little grumblings amongst the group of, oh, you know, so there's someone up in the brook, blah, 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 blah. You know, I'm trying to, like, be kind of inconspicuous and, and back myself out of the stream. Uh, the, out of the pond and there's people everywhere and I've got I've got um, hip waders on I didn't have chest waders they just had hip waders I was right up to the top of them <laughs> I had stu- I had stuffed my uh, portable radio down my hip wader so, oh boy so I could um, they can almost had, see where this is going if I <laughs> if I had to use it I could use it uh, it's probably not going where you think because again it's not but it was just kind of funny that I, I the whole time I had that there and these guys had no idea so the guy I was with the, the ride along I, I gave him the radio once I finally got off the bank into the darkness, I gave him the radio. I said, I need you to go up, turn it on, and tell the other warden that was up the road in the truck to get down here. So I'm trying to like hike through the woods to find these guys that are on the brook. And I finally find them, and they've got a, uh, they've got a, a milk jug, basically, with the, with the top cut off. And there's smelts pouring out of this milk jug. They've caught so many smelts. I mean, all they had to, I mean, the stream was just black with smelts. So all they had to do was dip a couple times, and they had their, their way over their limit. Plus, it's closed. So, anyways, long story short, the guy that was with me finally figured out how to turn the radio on, finally got the warden that was up the road, <laughs> which took a little bit of time. And I'm hoping the whole time that these guys aren't leaving. And it was kind of one of those things, but we caught them. And it was just, you know, sm- working smelt fishermen is something that's... Uh, uh, is fun and it's rewarding. And Did it's, they ever really suspect you as being a warden or anything? No. So what happened was what we typically we try to do is is not really burn that. Mm-hmm. So we're able to pull him off the bank, kind of just let him know very inconspicuously that hey, law enforcement, and we sent him up to the road. Uh, I think we were pretty successful that night in not burning us. Yep. Sometimes we don't get as lucky, but you know you really have to be creative sometimes when it comes to catching some of these folks because you know they some some people have done these things for a long time and they're good at it and they're comfortable yes. and you have to you have to kind of think outside the box absolutely um, that was just a you know a fun time that night and i remember that the warden the the ride along that was there that night kind of talked about it years after when he became a warden saying geez that was kind of the night that hooked me on being a game warden because yeah, he, it was exciting. He got it to was, see something really exciting. We yeah. caught some guys. We were in plain clothes. You know, the whole thing. You kind of, I mean, I don't know if you're if you're into that kind of stuff. I don't know how you can't like it. Oh yeah, no, I, I think the best thing is catching guys doing something, and timing is everything. But when you're there for that purpose, and it happens, man, it's just. Uh, oh, yeah. uh, you always get these uh, questions from sportsmen. I don't know how you can be a game warden because you know. You know, it's during hunting season. I'm like, you know, that that poacher's my ten point buck, man. Yep. I'm yep. constantly hunting. Yeah. Yeah, and it's and I mean, we kind of joke about, that, you know, a lot of people do say that, geez, I don't know if I want to be a game warden because you you never get to hunt and fish anymore and things like that. It's really not true, especially in today's day and age. Um, you know, I, uh, you know, you still get your time that you can go recreate and do the things that you want to do. But to me personally, I mean, 
you're immersed in it all the time now as a game warden. You know, you're into, depending on the season, you're you're in full hunting mode in the fall. You know, transition into the ice fishing, snowmobiling season, things like that. You're you're involved in those activities way more than you ever would have been if you worked a different job. Uh, absolutely. And, and, and to your point, you know, um, I hate to use this term, but you know, the hunting aspect it kind of changes to trying to. To, to find the people that are that are violating versus finding that game that you're that you're looking to hunt. So, I mean, to me, I, I think much like you, that the, the the excitement that you get from making a good case and catching those people that have been doing it is, to me, it it, it exceeds you know shooting any deer that I've ever shot. Yeah, no doubt, benefiting a resource for long term too by doing that. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, I think sure. it gets your end goal and right. you achieve you know. The small girls, and then their big goals in the long term. So, you know that, that that that's that's pretty awesome. And would you have any suggestions? A lot of you know, a lot of guys listen to this uh, to get like little tips to, you know, how can I be a game warden in Maine? I mean, you have a, some advice for them right now? Yeah, sure. That's a great thing. Uh, I mean, I, th- I think we mentioned it earlier. I mean, there's going to be a lot of opportunity in the next few years to 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 be in conservation law enforcement. Probably in in many states. I mean, Maine is. Maine is no exception. We're going to have um, opportunities for hiring, and I think that you know, depending on where you are, you, what stage of your life you're in, and, and where you're at with with your experience level, I think the, a couple of the biggest things that we're looking for as as game warden candidates is um, your some knowledge, some background in the outdoors, fishing game, um, some experience in that, hunting, fishing, trapping, things like that is is really important. Um, and then the other thing we're looking for is people that can that can communicate well with others. Communication skills is a really really important thing in any law enforcement, but really really important as a game warden. You talk to people all the time. I'm watching. I'm sitting here at the Moose Lottery, and I'm watching a one of our deputy wardens talk to a guy at the, the OGT trailer in front of me here. It's just so important to to have those skills and um, and and continue to improve on those. Work ethic. I mean, we mm. a lot of what we do is 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 by ourselves. You know, we want to hire people with really strong work ethics that are motivated to do the job, that are passionate about protecting fishing game and protecting the people that are out there recreating. I think that's so. Those are some of the the, the big topic areas that we're looking for. We don't need. We don't. We don't really want the person that's the absolute expert at everything. Because if you think you know everything now, you probably aren't the person we want to hire. You know, you need to be willing to learn some things. You're going to learn. You're going to change your weight, you know, how you do things over time. I mean, that's, it's exciting that we're going to have some of these opportunities. But at the same time, it's really important that we are doing our best to hire the right people and get those really qualified applicants into our, into our agencies. So... No, that that's great. So, and you know, I I think you hit it on the the nail on the head. Work ethic, work work hard, and uh, get involved with everything that's wild. So yeah, um, yeah. I mean so. that that just having that diverse outdoor background is really important. And just to just to touch on that, I mean, the the what we see as game wardens is that you're enforcing lo- the outdoor, the fishing game laws, the recreational vehicle laws, and having a feeling, a familiarity with those types of activities is so much so important and beneficial to enforcing those laws because when you when you come up again uh, on someone that's violating a law pertaining to deer hunting and you've never deer hunted before you don't really have the mm. feeling you can't talk that 
um, activity, and that's really important in, the, in out in the field and, and doing what we do. So, yeah, no doubt. Um, actually, talked one of our took one of our trainees uh, turkey hunting for his first time last year. So I'd never been turkey hunting and didn't have a license or anything, but he went with me. Sure. And I ended up, you know, calling in a turkey and shooting a turkey. So he got that experience. He got how the hunter goes about it. You know. Yeah, I mean, and that's and it and it's so important to know that activity and know. If you have to interview someone about a turkey hunt, you can at least remember that, right. oh, okay, that's probably, you can picture that in your head going on versus really not knowing anything about it. Right, so. and my hat's off to his field training officer for doing that because he, mm. he said, hey, lieutenant, you're going out turkey hunting. Can you can you bring Rob? So I'm like, yeah, yeah that's, absolutely. That's great, yeah. You can always continue to learn. You know, uh, and, that's abs- and, and then when you stop, then you're in trouble. Yeah. So for sure. You know, we, we get involved with so much as game wardens. You know, here we are doing an interview today uh, promoting Operation Game Thief, International Wildlife Crime Stoppers. And, you know, but the criminal side of things is some of this wildlife stuff we get involved with is, is criminals are involved in it, some, some pretty hardcore criminals. And, uh, you know, one of your first hunting incidents you ever had was a, a drug murderer. So that's, that's pretty intense. Yeah, so, I mean... I think it's probably becoming more and more common, if I had to guess, uh, with, the, with some of the crossover between different kinds of uh, crime and fishing game crime. We see it a lot. We see, um, you know, drug activity combined with fishing game crime. We see, um, you know, thefts and burglaries that are sometimes in, in connected to fishing games. So it, it's the, the lines have blurred considerably. You know, it's not, you know, what the state police in Maine deal with and what we deal with as so much hand in hand the same people are doing the same things uh yeah the first the first call the first perceived hunting fatal fatal incident that i had was uh i got a call from the dispatch and they said you know we have a possible hunting incident um in in uh north anson and so Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. That's again brand new. I'm thinking, all right, this is great. You know, it's nine o'clock at night, and I'm I'm raring to go. I don't care. I don't have nothing. I have nothing at home. So, grab my stuff and head over. And there's a bunch of troopers there, and there's a bunch of you know law enforcement. And they've taped off the area, and I'm and I'm kind of I'm walking up to the scene, and and there's this vehicle parked. You know, it's like back down on, on this woods road, just on the edge of the tar. There's a dead guy sitting in the in the driver's seat, and I'm thinking. It seems odd. I'm thinking, I don't understand how this could ever be a hunting incident. You know, I don't, I'm not seeing the connection. I'm brand new, but I'm not seeing the connection. Mm -hmm. So I'm talking to some of the other law enforcement there, and they're saying, well, you know, I think there's possibility that might have been someone from a tree stand and it might have hit him. And I'm thinking, boy, that's that's stretching it again for an, even for a new guy. Kind of looking at everything, and, and, and the guy had been, the guy had actually been shot at close range uh, with a handgun. And, it actually blew his glasses. I mean, it was it was a mess. But anyways, it ended up being, after investigating the whole thing, it ended up being a drug deal that had gone bad. Hmm. But it was just kind of interesting that, that, that originally they thought it potentially could have been a hunting incident, probably based on where it was more than anything, just right. rural area. Yeah, so my... And, and sometimes we like to hand heavy cases off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> well, this isn't mine. It's theirs. It's... Yeah. Uh, 
you know yep, yeah that's def- that's a that's a hunting incident yeah. i don't i don't want to have a murder it kind of became a joke <laughs> a little bit after it's like man i you know you guys are stretching it on that one but yeah yeah but no, no, no we doubt. do i mean we do we, we work so close with especially the state police on a lot of these major crimes things uh more more so for for some of our resources and like search and rescue and things like that you know we have we have things that you know old you know some cold cases uh some missing persons new you know newer missing person cases that we usually you know go and, and assist in that mode quite frequently in in maine so it's 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 a it's a great partnership you know that's kind of where our expertise is is in the search and rescue and and, and finding people and, and and so we can help we're the police in the woods. Yeah, that's, that's what yep. we do. Any, any, you know, searches like you know stand out with you? I know. Yeah, I mean, we've had you guys had I mean, some high profile ones. Yeah, in your, your past, I mean, I, sure. I know a lot of people know about Jerry Largay and that search yep. and how long it, you know, it was a long search and things. And I wasn't directly involved in a lot of that search um, based on geography, but you know, we've had some other pretty high profile long long searches that I have been more involved with and just. Some of those, obviously, you know, we talked about the good and the bad times and things like right. that. But, you know, some of those are, are happy endings. Some of them aren't so happy, depending on the situation. But we had a search a couple of years ago now that lasted for an extended period of time up in the kind of the north. I guess you'd call it the northern part of the state. There was a guy that had uh, some some early signs of dementia that drove down into this road system a dirt road system that's pretty intricate and there's a lot of roads and would definitely be easy to get turned around or lost and um, we never found him until later on in the fall and we found finally you know someone actually was on a tractor that was up higher that they could see down over a bank spotted something shining off the, the sun shining off of something and it turned out that it was the windshield of this vehicle that had ended he ended up backing down over like an old uh Wood, wood, woodyard uh, chopping that had been cut off, and he was the the vehicle was tucked in on the wood line, and you know honestly, it was just a very lucky situation that, it, that the vehicle was seen. But we recovered that you know that victim, and and unfortunately that a lot of times that is the the case, and but at the same time it 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 brings closure most of the time to families, yeah, or, absolutely. or at least some closure that they know what happened, that their, it's you know, their the loved unknown. one or whatever is, is brought back to them, which is, which is part of our job. You know, it's not a, it's not a fun part sometimes, but it's an important thing. So we have a lot of that. I mean, we have a lot of searches every year. Yeah, no doubt. Bring you back to hunting though. Uh, close season deer case in March. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we don't get many of those. Typically, you know, we, like I, we've, we've talked about, we have a lot of we we put a lot of time and effort into the hunting activities in the fall, you know, from like no any and all the hunting seasons when they're open. But we don't get a lot of calls about hunting activities in March. The ironic part is rabbit. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other day. But yeah, so the ironic part about this call in particular was that we actually had our hundred and thirtieth warden service anniversary celebration that that night that this happened which was which is down on the coast you know a ways from where this happened so the next morning i uh i got this information i didn't get it until the next day but i someone called and said hey listen uh, actually it was an ogt complaint so the, the call came in through main ogt nice. and and um a co-worker of one of the one of the suspects 
had had told had called and said and said that basically they were talking about killing these deer the night before um, on on a certain road and things. So I started putting things together, and again, long story short, we interviewed some some people. We were able to determine that there were two suspects, um, and they killed two deer. And obviously, if 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 you if you're from Maine or you know about Maine. The month of March is kind of an important uh, month for, for deer in particular because it's kind of that shoulder month of we're getting out of the winter, but we're still it's still cold, and sometimes we still have a lot of snow, so it's really hard sometimes on deer, and we're you know obviously killing them at night doesn't give them much of a chance. Right, uh, they're pretty weak, things like that. So one of the suspects admitted to admitted to to doing what they did. The other one didn't. I suspect probably because he's a felon, he didn't want to admit that he was there that night. But did your other suspect include him in his? Oh yeah, admission. Oh yeah, oh. yeah. So it was kind of one of those things where I pretty much knew what happened. I just didn't quite have it on that guy. So and again, uh, we go back to frequent flyers. The one that didn't admit to the night hunting case back then. Um, this past fall, we actually got him for felon in possession of a firearm. So nice. things come around and uh, absolutely. I may or may not have said something to the effect of that in the March case about that we'll probably meet again at some point, and I was pretty excited last fall, so yep. it was great. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I've uh, had that same experience where I think my, my phrase is, there is a God, there, there is a God. There's, <laughs> there, yeah, there's something. I, I remember it was something to that effect, probably yeah, a little just, different. Uh, you know, uh, get that, you know, that lost, sounds lost one. And that sounds good for a podcast. It, it, it does. It does, <laughs> absolutely. So I just wanted them to know that, that it all comes around sooner or later because, uh, you know, we may not get you that time. And, I, I, boy, it just makes my skin cringe, the ones I didn't get. And, you know, one of these things, I'm going to try to approach some guys that I didn't catch and say, hey, we're past the statute of limitations. Mm. You've changed. I, I know that. So you want to tell me all those stories? You want to tell me all the things I missed and, and put you know, it out there? It is interesting that you say that, Wayne, because there's, there's and even as a current warden, I, I, there's certain um, relationships that you kind of establish over the time as in this job that what you started at, you, you, it may be one thing, but as that evolves over time, you know, some of the people that um, I would consider, you know, good people, we probably didn't see eye to eye. When, we, when I first started and maybe even dealt with some of them um, in, in violations earlier on, but we've kind of gotten over that. Some of the people, it's kind of, it's, it's actually very refreshing to see that some of those same people are, the same, are those people now that would call you or stop you on the road and say, hey, listen, you know, this isn't right. Absolutely. Um, and so it, it does show that, that those relationships do change and, over And time. we change too. Yeah, you, you know, do, I, no question. You remember the, the new kid that's in town is a new police officer and stops everybody? Doesn't matter who it is, That's exactly and, right. you know. Certainly, I was that game warden. You start you know? seeing the benefits of that community policing aspect more and more. Absolutely, I think as time goes on. Colonel likes to bring up the time I charged somebody for digging worms, inclusions, and aiding and assisting at taking of over a limit. Hey, I, I, I thought I was ingenious. It so, it Nobody really else good. did. I, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you, you dig really deep when you when you're new, and it's uh, yeah, no doubt. Oh, and yeah. then the lieutenant looks at you. You did what? You know. So, and, uh, so to this day, I still get, you know, that story comes up quite frequently. So um, he likes to tell that story. So, you know, here, here we are again. We're Cabela's in Maine for the Moose Lottery. 
you know, lots, lots of people around. It's a live podcast, so you're going to hear people in the background. Pretty excited to be here with Sergeant Aaron Cross, of the, the main warden service. We've talked about a lot of stuff, his experience. We've talked, we haven't talked about a lot of stuff, too. He's, he's got quite a forte here. These notes he gave me were just, just crazy, which is, uh, thank you. Thank you very much, Aaron. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to have to do it again. So maybe not you specifically, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I got to learn out, we'll you know. Yeah. So uh, podcasting's been new. I think it's a really important that we get our message out for, especially with Operation Game Thief, uh, Maine, New Hampshire. I, I told you know you before that I mimicked uh, you guys because you've been so successful. You know, 30 years coming up with Operation Game Thief. New Hampshire started off on the same foot. We faltered. We fell back to the state. It wasn't working. So now we have a nonprofit program again. We're up. We're running. We're, we're helping out. We're helping to stop poaching. Yeah, it's great. So. It's absolutely... It, I think that any any state or, or agency, you know, state, or whether it's in May, uh, whether it's in the U.S. or uh, Canadian provinces, I think that it's it's so important that, that you get involved with International Wildlife Crime Stoppers. It's It's been such a huge asset for Maine OGT and our state agencies to have those connections. You know, you meet people at these these conferences and these the functions that happen throughout the country that, that are invaluable. Just like any time you meet, you know, people from other states, you, you gain knowledge, you find out, you know, what works for them, what doesn't, share things. And, and I think we're really making some huge steps forward with IWC. And I think it's only going to continue to grow. Yep, no, no doubt. So International Wildlife Crime Stoppers, we were hosted on their Facebook page today. Apparently they couldn't hear very well, and they probably, <laughs> well, like I said, we'll, we'll work out the bugs in the future. So I hope they'll let me host again. Oh, yeah, but, uh, I'm sure. Cer- certainly uh, get, bring some attention to it. That's, that's important. Uh, we'll get the conference coming up again, so I'm heading there. Hopefully do a lot of podcasts. You know, Louis Rather, our, our executive director, what, what a dynamic individual. I'm looking forward to doing yeah, a podcast Yeah, great guy. Great guy, absolutely. So, you know, start, uh, Chris Simmons. So Sergeant Chris Simmons is on my list. That'll be a fun one, too. So Yeah, you better. I think you might want to block out two or three <laughs> hours, maybe, something yeah. like that. Yeah, well, you know, uh, and, I, and I've been yeah. doing that with uh, different wardens because having lunch breaks and then doing a second one in the oh, afternoon yeah. so we can do double up so that, that might have to be a Chris a, a, a full maybe a day. Chris day yeah a sure. Chris day so certainly I, I really appreciate your time and uh, hopefully we so because we want to put that softball game out August 3rd and it's going to benefit IWC OGT New Hampshire Maine and make a wish so yep. Yep. it's it's quite a combination yeah it's great we've uh, the last uh, couple well three years actually that we've we've done a uh, Maine OGT has has done a benefit softball game in Belfast, which is close to where I am, and, and Sergeant Simmons as well. So we've been doing this fundraiser with the with the Belfast High School softball and baseball teams where we ha- have a team of game wardens play against the high school softball and baseball kids. And I think it, I mean, that's that's been a huge, huge hit. A good local obviously, outreach yeah, on both sides. Yeah, obviously we're trying to make this bigger event in Portland in, in August, but at the same time it's given us a kind of a framework to work off of and, and the benefits have been great. I mean we, we make relationships with the students and the and the staff at the high school. The communities in those areas have just been, you know, they've taken they've latched onto it and they've been very supportive. We've you know been able to raise some great money for Make a Wish and Main OGT through that game. So, you know, it's been it's been it's been fun. But we're really hoping that the August game is going to be on a on a whole nother scale as far as size and participation and. Well, you got two Northwoods laws competing yeah, I mean, 
Maine Northwoods Law versus New Hampshire Northwoods yeah, Law. Yeah, it, uh, it, it doesn't get any better. It doesn't get any better. Uh, you know, because we love to, to play hard. We love to, you know, work hard. And, yeah, I, it's a, we're all competitive people. I, I know that. So, certainly, <laughs> you know, you're, you're competitive for sure. Were you involved with that Tough Mudder they did? Uh, yeah, I did one of those. Uh, I think we sent some people over there, didn't we? We had some yeah, one, in New Hampshire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One year. We Major Wimsat went over. and Yeah, we filmed it on Northwoods Law, actually, yeah. one year. And it was Maine versus New Hampshire and that. Yeah, and we actually well, won, but didn't they cut it out uh, and like made you guys know. win or something? I'm not so sure that's the way it happened. Is that <laughs> I do know. I, I can tell you that there was people that did get lost uh, at some point on the course. I won't tell you if it was Maine or New Hampshire. Yeah. You got, I think that everyone that watches Northwoods Law probably knows who actually won, but... Um, <laughs> You know, that's, we'll, we'll just so it's it going to be a little bit like that. So hopefully yeah, they'll yeah, be there to film like it, and we'll have some some good fun and have some good competition and raise money for Make a Wish, uh, New Hampshire, Maine OGTs, and International Wildlife Prime Stoppers. Get our message out there more and benefit it and have a good time. So no, thank thanks for your time, Aaron. It's it's, it's no always a pleasure thank to hang you, with Ray. you and Great. look forward to the future. So yeah, we'll see you in Nevada. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from Game Wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.